Paul's rights as an apostle. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Or have I not have I not seen our Lord Jesus? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defence to those who sit in judgment on me. Don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us, as do the other apostles of the Lord's brothers and Peter? Or is it only I and Barnabas who lack the right to not work for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants vineyards and does not eat of the grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink the milk? Do I say this merely on human authority? Doesn't the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, Do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. Is it about oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this is written for us. Because whoever ploughs and threshes should be able to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If, uh, if others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? But we do not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Don't you know that those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple? And that those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. But I have not used any of these rights, and I am not writing this in the hope that you will do such things for me. For I would rather die than allow anyone to deprive me of this boast. For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, since I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I am, I am simply discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel I may offer it free of charge and so not make full use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews I became like a Jew, to win the Jews. To those under the law I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak I became weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that all possible, by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I might share in its blessings. Amen. Thanks, Bill. Good morning. 
Good morning, everyone on Zoom. I'm going to start recording now, so uh, best behaviour. Right, I think that's going great. Well, let's pray again, picking up words that we've just sung. Um, Heavenly Father, thank you that you are the God who speaks. And we pray that you would speak to us through your word. We pray that you would give us grace to, to, to stand on your promises this morning. We pray that you would grant us faith to walk with you uh, through whatever you have for us this next week and beyond. Uh, so, Father, we, we pray that by your spirit you would show us your son. Help us to fix our eyes on him. And we pray that you would encourage us and do us good. Um, amen. Well, it's been good to, to think already this morning of laying down our lives, um, to think of sacrifice. And building on what we, we saw last week in chapter 8, sacrificial love, laying down our lives for the sake of others, is, is right at the heart of this passage as well this morning. But the first thing that hits you as, as, as you read this um, se- section, as Bill um, read it to us, is, is just how many questions Paul asks in this section. 17. Four questions in verse 1, and then 13 questions in verses 4 to 13. A commentator I was reading this week described it as a relentless torrent of rhetorical questions. And you kind of get that sense, don't you, as, as you read through. So before Paul can get on with, with building on what you've been saying in the previous chapter about laying aside your rights, giving, giving up your rights for others, he starts off by asserting his right to rights, um, setting out his rights. And uh, he does two things in the first half of, of our section um, today he, he he starts off defending his um, apostleship, and then he moves on to defending his ministry practice regarding um, finances and and money. And we'll see that as as we go through. So first of all, then he starts off with a defence of his apostleship. Have a look at verses one and two again. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Am I not an apostle? He asks. Well, some of his readers in this church were probably not too sure about that. Uh, and, And in their minds, if he's not an apostle, if he's not got the authority that comes with being an apostle, well, well, then we can just ignore everything that he's been saying to us so far, can't we? And just get on with our lives. But Paul is adamant here, isn't he? And look at what he appeals to in, in his defence. Firstly, have I not seen Jesus our Lord, he says. Now, the word apostle is, um, is a widely used word throughout the New Testament, Um, In a few places in the New Testament, it simply means sent ones. Sent ones, simply that. But in Acts chapter 1, as Matthias is chosen to join the other 11 apostles, 
the conditions of um, Judas's replacement amongst the, the 12 is, is that um, whoever is to, to join and replace Judas must have been there from the beginning of Jesus's ministry. He must have been there through it all, seen it all, been, been a part of it. So Paul, well, he doesn't meet those criteria. He doesn't qualify in that kind of sense. And yet, Paul is absolutely clear in his mind. It wasn't merely a vision of Jesus that he saw on the Damascus road when he was converted. But rather, he was convinced that he met the risen Lord Jesus that day. For him, it wasn't just some private experience. Everyone on the road with him that day saw the light. This was not some sort of trippy hallucination for Paul. This was something real. This was something that happened in space and time. Now, Paul is aware of how unusual his experience is compared to all the other apostles. So later on in chapter 15, verse 8, there's this great chapter about the resurrection. Listen to how he describes himself. And last of all, he, that's Jesus, appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Paul is convinced. He, he saw the living, risen Lord Jesus. Well, so did loads of other people. As you read through the gospel accounts, 500 plus on one day saw, saw the, the risen Lord Jesus. Are they all apostles in this same sense as well? What is it that makes Paul so special in that regard? Well, it was on that Damascus road that the risen Lord Jesus gave Paul his unique commission. His task was to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, to take the good news of Jesus to the rest of the world, to, to the, to the non-Jews. And that's what leads to Paul's second and most convincing defence of his apostleship. Them. Them. Did you see that? Even though I may not be apostle to others, in verse 2, surely I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. So in Paul's mind, the, the very fact that there is a church in Corinth with people who've been transformed and who now worship and live for the, for the living Lord Jesus, that is proof of his apostleship. As we've seen earlier in chapter 2 of, of 1 Corinthians, naturally we might like to think that we're spiritual people, but the truth is, naturally we cannot know God or understand the gospel unless the Holy Spirit reveals him to us, opens our minds and, and shows us. This, and as we saw in chapter 2, the Spirit reveals God to us and through the words and teaching of the apostles, through the Bible for us here today. And as we saw again in chapter 2, it was the Spirit who, who taught the apostles the words to pass on. So do you see what he's saying here in, in chapter 9 at the start of this chapter? Some might have reasons to doubt my authority as an apostle, but you guys don't. You are the seal of my apostleship. So that's how he starts off, defending his apostleship. 
Secondly, he moves on to to defending his approach to to financial support, defending his his ministry practice, if you like. So from verse 4, he moves on to what it seems was a pretty contentious point. And financial support for, for ministry. And he starts off by demonstrating the robust case for the rights of apostles to have financial support in the first place. So let's track through verses 5 and 11 to look at the argument that Paul sets out in these verses for, for why apostles have the rights to financial support for what they do. His first argument, verse 4 and 5 is an apostolic precedent. In other words, it's what all the other apostles do. It's it's what all the other apostles receive. They they get financial support for what they do. Verse 4 and 5. Don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us, as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas? That's um, that's Peter. So his his first argument, apostolic precedent that's what all the other apostles do and receive he then moves on verse 7 to everyday practical wisdom everyday practical wisdom who serves as a soldier verse 7 at his own expense who plants a vineyard and does not eat its grapes who tends the flock and does not drink the milk this is what happens in everyday life people get paid get rewarded for the work that they do that's just what happens in everyday life And that's what happens in religious life too. Have a look at verse 13. Don't you know that those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple? Those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar. So there's apostolic precedent. It's what all the other apostles do. There's everyday practical wisdom that just says people who work should get paid for it. That's the same for us as apostles too. And then in verses 8 to 10, he moves on to an argument from Scripture. Here's the biblical argument for this. Have a look at verse 8. Do I say this merely on human authority? Doesn't the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. Is it about oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? So do you see what he's saying? This... This, this argument of uh, workers deserving what they uh, get paid, it's written right into the Old Testament law. It's, it's, there's scriptural grounds um, for this too. And then in verse 11 and 12, he moves on to just logic and deductive reasoning, if you like. Verse 11, if we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more, he says. Just logically, deductive reason why we should be paid for what we do, is what he's saying. And then finally, he nails his argument, verse 14, with the command of the Lord Jesus. In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. Boom. Case closed from Paul's point of view. Now, maybe we're expecting him to be building up to an ask here, kind of pitching for them to now cough up what they owe him, just, you know, make the checks out to, to Paul. 
but that's not at all what he does here. He's made an utterly convincing, biblical case for for financial support for those in ministry. And actually, this is an important passage to help us as we think through supporting those who are in in, um, uh, full-time ministry. But have a look at the surprise. In, verse, in the second half of verse 12, verse 15, far from demanding their money, the opposite is true. Verse 12, if others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? But we did not use this right. Verse 15, but I have not used any of this rights, of, of these rights, and I'm not writing this in the hope that you will do such things for me, for I would rather die than allow anyone to deprive me of this boast. It's striking, isn't it? After going to great lengths to, to demonstrate that the rights that he has as an apostle to financial support, he then says, I'm going to give them all up. I'm not going to, to, to use those rights. And so in the second half of, the, of, of this passage, we see why he, he gives up his rights. And we see, first of all, he, he gives up these rights. He lays aside these rights. Firstly, because he's driven by a love for Christ and a passion for the gospel. He's driven by, by a love for Christ and a passion for the gospel. Verse 12 again. If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? But we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Paul gives up his, his rights. He, he lays them down. Why? so as not to hinder the gospel of Christ. Now, in the Corinthian culture, um, itinerant philosophers, um, who would basically wander around from place to place, philosophizing, um, speaking and going on writing tours, philosophers in that culture would have had a wealthy patron who was basically bankrolling them. Um, Think of kind of sponsorship. Um, like a Premier League footballer or, or, or that, that sort of thing. The better the philosopher, the more money they'd get from their patron because the patron is in their interest to be associated with such a gifted philosopher. And So you see the sort of cycle there. So if that's what's going on culturally, you can understand people taking one look at Paul and thinking, he's got no money. He's even, he's even having to, to work for a living doing a, a kind of manual job, um, tent making. What, what kind of apostle is, is he? And again, that actually working with your hands in some circles, probably even with, within the, the church there in Corinth, would have been something that would have been looked down on culturally. There would have been a real snobbery about that as well. So it's striking, isn't it? Paul... Perhaps he's wanting to distance himself from from all of that kind of cultural baggage, from all that kind of ways of thinking and and, and operating. He's by by not taking a patron and the kind of all that goes along with it. He he's free from outside controlling interests. He can dance to the beat of his own drum, 
<laughs> or the Lord's drum. And so, decisively and in his, his principled way, he actively gives up his rights to that kind of support. Why? Because he wants nothing to hinder people responding to the gospel. Because he's, he's driven by, by a love for Christ and a passion for the gospel. So he'll put up with anything. He'll endure anything. And have a look with me at verses 16 onwards, 16 onwards. For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, since I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I have, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I'm simply discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge so as not to make full use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. They're extraordinary words, aren't they? It's a real um, insight, amazing insight into his heart and his, his passions and his motivations. He's compelled to preach. Compelled to, to do what he does. He is so captivated by the beauty and the majesty of Christ. And by the enormity of the commission that he's been that he's been given by the risen Christ, he cannot but hold out Christ and preach the gospel. I do all of this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings, he says in verse 23. He's, he's driven by a love for Christ and a passion for the gospel. So he gives up his rights. But secondly, he gives up his rights because of his love for all people. And his desire for them to know Jesus. Have a look down at verses 19 to, to 23. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone. To win as many as possible. To the Jews I become like a Jew. To win the Jews. To those under the law I become like one under the law. Though I myself are not under the law. So as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I become like one not having the law. Though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I become weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people. So that by all possible means, I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Aren't they brilliant, brilliant words? It's so different to, to the world around us that's so hung up on, on our own individual rights and our own individual comfort. Paul is, is so free, he can enslave himself to others for the sake of the gospel. To the Jews, to the Gentiles, to those with, with weak consciences, like, like we saw in, in chapter 8 last week. In, in all my ministry, Paul says... This is my, my guiding principle. I can change, I can adapt, I can endure any hardship, I can forego any right, I can deprive myself of any comfort so that I can do absolutely everything I can to see absolutely everyone who, who will be one for Jesus. It's important to notice here that it's not the gospel message that changes 
here in Paul's uh, evangelism and in his approach. It's not the message, but it's the messenger who adapts, who accommodates, who, who gives up their rights, who, who goes the extra mile to selflessly serve, love, adapt for the gospel. And it's important too, it's, it's not just the, the going that's important. It's not just that Paul is going out to, to where people are at. He's, he's going there to win some for Christ, he says. Well, what did that look like in practice for Paul? Here's a couple of uh, examples from the book of Acts. In Acts 17, Paul is in Athens. And uh, we read that he spent time walking around the city, understanding the cultural context that he was in. And he was deeply provoked, it, it said. He, his heart was grieved when he saw that the place was, was full of idols. And he goes to the Areopagus, because that's the place where everyone goes to listen and debate the latest ideas. And in Acts 17, uh, verse 22, Paul stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, um, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious, for as I walked round and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. He spent time walking around the city, understanding the culture. And as he went to where people were at, where people were discussing and talking about all the latest ideas, and he started where they were at, even quoting their own poetry to them. As an example of him being all things to all people, that he might win some. And then a chapter before in Acts, in chapter 16, uh, we read about a disciple named Timothy. Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Isn't that extraordinary? Talk about taking one for the team. <laughs> what an example of selflessly giving up your rights for the gospel so that nothing would hinder anyone from hearing. Though I am free and belong to no one, I've made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible, he says in a Chapter 9, verse 19. Well, what does this mean for us here today? Well, there's, there's real challenge here from, from Paul's example, isn't there? Um, Paul's willing to do whatever he could, regardless of rights and comfort, to win whoever he could. I wonder, could the same be said of us, corporately as a church and, and individually? as well when was the last time that that we served someone in a costly sacrificial way there's a welsh um church planter uh, die hanky 
who's often saying, Jesus didn't say to us to, to take up our pillow, not put ourselves out and be as comfortable as we can. Jesus told us to take up our cross and follow him. Well, perhaps um, a good um, starting point for us today as we're kind of thinking about this is, is, to, is for us to, to take a moment to think of the people that God has put in our life who, who don't know him. Maybe family, neighbours, colleagues, parents at the school gate, people at the shops that we visit regularly. How well do we really understand where they're coming from? Do we, do we know what, what makes them laugh? What, what drives them? What they're most ashamed of? What they think of, of Jesus? Have we taken the time to, to really listen to them? To understand them? To, to see where they're coming from? To put ourselves in, in their shoes? And what, what are we doing to, to serve them? How are we serving them? When, when was the last time we, we put ourselves out for them? When did we show them costly love? What can we do this week to, to build our connection with them, to, to deepen our friendship with, with that person, whoever's in your mind at, at the moment, whoever the Lord's laying on your heart? This week, what can you do? to build your connection, to deepen your friendship with them. Could I suggest food is a good place to start? The Gospels are actually full of instances of, of Jesus spending time eating with people, having meals with, with other people. We all eat. Three meals a day, seven days a week. By my maths, that makes 21 opportunities. Yeah. 21 opportunities a week. Um, are there some of those that, that you could be sharing with, with other people? Um, now, I'm not for one minute pretending this is easy. What Paul is modelling is, is a genuine passion for the gospel and, and a love for people. It is costly for us to, to speak of Jesus to our friends and our family. But it's worth it, isn't it? And ultimately, what, what Paul is modelling here, laying aside his rights out of love for others and love for Christ, is not something that he's dreamt up all by himself. Listen to these words from Philippians as we close. Philippians 2. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. This is the, the ultimate laying aside of rights isn't it, for the sake of others. This is the ultimate example of, of self-sacrificial love. 
Let's make it our prayer to have that same mindset as Christ Jesus. And let's pray now. Heavenly Father, we want to to worship you for, for the Lord Jesus. How we thank you that he humbled himself. Became obedient to death, even death on a cross. That he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. How we thank you for the Lord Jesus. How we thank you that, that his sacrifice makes it possible for us to be in relationship with you in the first place. His sacrifice deals with, with our sin, our guilt. Thank you that it was love that drove him to the cross and held him there until it was all accomplished and finished and done. And Father, we we pray that you would give us that same mindset of sacrificial love. And Father, we, we know that it's only possible for us to have that love because you first loved us. And so we pray you would fill us with your spirit, that you would grant us that love um, for you and, and love for those around us so that we are compelled to share that extraordinary good news with anyone who will listen. So please, Lord, would you um, forgive us, challenge us and encourage us and equip us um, in Jesus' name. And for his glory. Amen.